Big Sal. Hey, real quick, um, just in case you guys came in late, a couple things you want to make sure you're aware of. Next month, say next month. We're going to be kicking off small groups for this semester. We are hyped for that. And also next month, we got spring breakaway registration opening up. Hey, listen, uh, anybody here never been to our retreat spring breakaway? Anybody never been? Good, so everyone's in the house. We got one coming in this year. Hey, listen, this is perfect because I need you all. If you've already been there, then you already know what it's all about. And so we need you to make sure to register within the first month. Get everything knocked out February, March, because here's my hope. If you guys can get yourself registered and taken care of, that opens up opportunities for us to be able to bring your friends for hopefully free. And so the more we have the in-house people taken care of, the less we have to worry about that, the more we can concentrate. How many would love to know, hey, you know what, my best friend wants to go, but they have an issue with money. Don't worry, we can cover it because we've already covered everything else. And so if you can help us with that, it'll help us to get hopefully more new people there and more people to have an opportunity to experience something powerful with the Lord. And here's what I've seen over the years. Uh, oftentimes, especially when you graduate from Excel, when you hear testimonies of people about what God has done during their time at Excel, almost every time people point back to Breakaway as a pivotal moment, as an area, as a moment in time where everything changed. And so we want to help you experience that change, but you can't experience it if you're not there. And so we need you guys to register. If money is an issue, you could talk to me about it. Don't worry. Don't be embarrassed. Just, we're going to figure it out. We're going to believe God to provide a way, and uh, we're going to be excited. We got some really cool things lined up this year, and so we want to make sure that you guys are there. Amen? All right, so we've been in our 2020 series, right, the vision we got for 2020, and we talked about some fundamental things that we believe are vital and important for your spiritual walk, all right? So we talked about a few different things. Anybody remember what the first thing was that we mentioned? Read your Bible, right? So we talked about reading your Bible. How many of you have started it? Maybe a little bit. Maybe you're not perfect, but you started to read your Bible. Yes. Okay, three of you. Good. Three of you helped the four others. Um, but that's the beginning. And then we talked about prayer, right? We talked about prayer. Last week, we talked about generosity. For those of you who weren't there, uh, part of it at the end, we had you guys pray and ask God, what are you to give personally when it comes to missions and in particular speed the light and I loved watching you guys praying and really asking God and yet we came up and we wrote on a whiteboard individually what number we had now if you missed last week that doesn't exclude you you could still be a part of this you could still pray and ask God what he called you to do but with everybody that was here last week when we added everything up the total came out to twenty thousand fifty six dollars and so that's what you guys have committed to trying to do this year now here's the truth We've tried to do 20,000 in the past. We haven't gotten there yet. We haven't cracked 20,000 yet as a marker. We've gotten close. We've gotten to 17,000 one year, but we never got to 20. But again, I believe if you are committed, if you are consistent, and if you trust God, that we will be able to get there. And like I said, Cicely, my wife, is going to be in charge this year of all things missions. And one of the things we're looking at, too, is putting together a mission trip for the youth in this future, hopefully within the next year. And so... Be careful because if you're like, oh, I want to go on a mission trip, but you haven't done anything for Speed the Light, that's going to automatically get you off the list. And so we're looking at people that are committed to sending before they're committed to going. And so we want to encourage you. If God's called you to that, if you're already sitting there going, but I know God's called me to mission, then start today. Don't wait till you graduate. Amen? Amen. With that being said, tonight's topic 
is, is an interesting one because I think it's one that uh, we've always done decently at or well at, but I feel like uh, we need to understand the basics of it. And I want to talk to you tonight about worship. Say worship. Worship is a, is a very Christianese word that's often used in church to describe uh, the portion of service like we just had where we sing songs to God. But worship is so much more than singing a song and so much more than music. See, we worship every day. Everybody worships something, right? The thing that gets your biggest attention, the thing that your resources go to, the thing that you spend the most time on, these are things that you worship. Some of us worship musical artists, right? We got all their songs. We know all their lyrics. We know all the tea about it. We know their family history and their background. That You are worshiping that person. You are exalting that person above other people, right? Some of us, we worship celebrities. We worship athletes. We worship uh, uh, figureheads that we think are, are amazing. These are people that are elevated and that are glorified by your words, by your actions, by the things that you do. So everybody worships something, right? We worship sports teams. We worship, uh, some people worship government stuff. Some people worship uh, just their own self, right? Listen, I, you may not see it, but some of our own vanity, when we want to just constantly post videos about ourselves and, and we do that to get constant reaffirmation, that's trying to get yourself to be worshipped. You want the adoration. You want the confirmation. And so think about it this way. If you post something and you're upset, you're actually hurt that you didn't get as many responses or likes as you thought you should, that's a pretty good indicator that you're having a hard time trying to worship yourself, okay? We're all built to worship, but the main person God has called us to worship is himself. The main person that God has called us to adore, to give our attention to, is himself. God desires our worship. God desires for you and I to sing to him, to love him, to live a life worthy of him. Now, it's not because God is vain or because God necessarily needs it for his own ego, but he delights in our worship. Think about it like this. There's really nothing we could ever do to pay back God for all the things he's already done for us, nor does God ask you to pay him back. But the one thing we can do is love him through our worship, is glorify him in our worship. And, you know, a lot of my perspective has begun to change now that I've become a father. I've started to see things a little bit differently in that. And, and I look at my daughter, and I was telling somebody this week alone, I was carrying her. I had just finished taking a shower. I'm holding her. And she diarrheaed through her diaper, through, like, her onesie, and it was all over my shirt. And I'm like, oh, crap, literally. And so... I'm like, all right, I got to get back in the shower. And so I was like, I got to wash her too, so I'll take her in the shower with me. And I'm trying to get the water the right temperature so I don't burn my daughter. And my wife hands her to me naked, so I'm holding her. I don't have my shirt on. I'm just holding her naked, but it's kind of cold in the washroom. So she peed. She totally just peed on me completely. So now she pooped on me. She peed on me. And I'm like, okay, you're my daughter, right? It, like, didn't bug me. It didn't bother me at all, right? I'm not upset because she's mine. But what makes me happy, I don't want her to pay me. I don't want her, she's a baby, right? But man, when she looks at me and she smiles, I, I freaking lose it. I'm like, you can pee on me all day long, you poop on me, I don't care, right? Because I delight that she delights in me. I find pleasure that she finds pleasure in me. When, when she hears my voice and stops eating because she hears Poppy talking and she's looking for me, I get super hyped up. Right? When, when, when she's looking at me in the eye, I don't know if she's looking at me or if, 
you know, if she can barely see me because she only can see like 6, 12 inches. But it delights me. Well, the same thing goes with the Lord. When you acknowledge him, when you praise him, when you give him your adoration, your attention, when you focus on him and, and you remind yourself about how much he means to you because he's always thinking about how much you mean to him, that glorifies and brings pleasure to the Father. And I don't know about you, but with everything God has done in my life, I want to please him. And I'm not going to please him by, by being better. I'm going to please him by loving him more. And so I want to talk to you guys about that tonight because I think it's important. And in order to do that, we're going to look at John chapter 4. John chapter 4, there's a story here about Jesus and a Samaritan woman. Jesus was on uh, away with his disciples. The disciples decided to go get lunch. Jesus decides to go change a life. And he meets with this woman, a Samaritan woman, by a well. And there's a whole long story with that. Basically, for those of you who are new to your Bible... Samaritans were considered uh, half-bloods. They, were, they weren't pure Jewish people. They were Jewish people who had settled in an area of Samaria and had intermingled and married with people who weren't Jewish, who worshipped foreign gods. And so Jewish people considered them to be tainted, considered them to be unclean. They wouldn't have anything to do with them. As a matter of fact, if a Jewish person absolutely had to walk through Samaria before they went into Jerusalem, they would take their shoes off and knock the dust off their shoes so that they wouldn't bring filthy dirt from Samaria into Jerusalem. Like that's the level of hatred they had for these people. And so for Jesus, a Jewish man of this time, to go and have a conversation with a woman, let alone a Samaritan woman, this was a pretty big thing. This was not uh, usual. This is kind of an unheard of type of thing. And yet Jesus has this conversation with her. And when you look at the story, you can see she was an outcast even among her own people. And so he has this great conversation with her where basically he reads her mail. He tells her everything that's going on in her life. And she's thrown away. And she's like, this dude, it's kind of creepy. Maybe he's a prophet. And in that moment, she kind of asks him a, a theological question. And, and if you look at verse 19, you'll kind of see what's going on. Chapter 4, verse 19 through 20. She goes, sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet, right? You just read my mail. You just told me everything that's going on in my life. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place to worship while we Samaritans claim it is here in Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worship, okay? So she's asking them this theological question. Well, you guys say we're supposed to worship over there, but our people believe we're supposed to worship here. So what's the deal with that? And essentially she's asking, well, what's the right way to worship God? Is it in Jerusalem where your people worship? Is it here where my people worship? And that's a question I want us to consider tonight. What's the right way to worship God? Is it at church or alone in my room? Is it through Hillsong, Bethel, is it through uh, Stephen Furtick's church, or is it singing old hymnals and, and opening up a hymnal book and, and singing How Great Thou Art? Should worship be slow and heartfelt? Should it be loud and, and joyful? Should we clap our hands and jump, or should we be reverent and silent? Like, what's the right way to worship. And the thing is, I don't believe that any of those questions really matters when it comes to understanding the heart and what God is looking for in worship. Because all of those are just simply examples of worship. They are not worship in and of themselves. See, one of the mistakes we make 
is we limit worship to music and to the 20 minutes we spend at the beginning of a service, and we assume that is worship. And so in order for me to worship, I have to put music on and sing along to the song, and then I am worshiping. And you'll see as we go through the remainder of the service that that's not what worship is. That is a form of worship. It's kind of the same way if you were to say that art is only painting. Right? Art is so much more than one form of art. Right? You, you have people like uh, Diana who sculpts. Is that not an art? Right? You, you have people who draw. You have people who paint. You have people who graffiti. You have people who do music. All of those are art. They're all different forms of art, but they're all art. Well, in the same way, worship has many different forms that it can be presented in. Right? It's not just music. Music is simply a form of worship, and it's one of the forms that we choose to do on a regular basis here collectively when we worship together. But be careful in assuming that that's the only way you worship. Right? It's more than just that, and if you limit worship to music, then you really limit your heart and what it's doing to adore God. What really matters is not how you worship, but it's the heart behind your worship. As a matter of fact, Jesus, he kind of dismisses her question. Listen to what he says in verse 21 through 24. Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming where it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. Right? Her question was, should we do it on this mountain or should we do it in Jerusalem? And Jesus says, guess what? It's not even going to matter. You're asking the wrong question. Okay, he goes on to say, you Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. In other words, he's saying, listen, there's going to come a moment where the real ones, the real ones are going to worship God in spirit and in truth, not in location. Okay. There's going to come a time when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. I think it's interesting that that verse, Jesus mentions that God looks for worshipers. Think about it. Even in that time that we had in that one type of worship where we're singing along, as we were all standing in this room, God was looking, and he was trying to see where the real one's at. Yeah, some of you, you're just standing there respectfully, but just waiting for the music to end. That's not a real one. Some of you, you're singing, but there's nothing really behind what your words are. You're not a real one. Like, God sees through your action. God sees through what's going on. You might fool everybody in this room, and, and many have. But understand that God is very specifically looking. He's not just noticing. You know, sometimes you just notice something. But there's a difference between, oh, I noticed that, versus, man, I'm looking for it now. And God is saying, listen, I'm looking for the real ones in the room. I'm looking for the ones that are really worshiping me, and I'm going to notice the fake ones. And I'm going to notice the ones. So here's the deal. You can be respectful, and you can be nice, and God not care about your worship because it's not real. You could stand up and you could follow the bouncing ball and the lyrics and say all the right words and God will see your heart and go, yeah, but, but it's not real, right? It reminds me of one time in high school, uh, there was this like R&B love album. I used to love R&B because I was all about the ladies, right? So this is like R&B love album and, and I had got it before a lot of people had it and back in the day when you got a CD, 
they had lyrics on them, right? Because we just didn't have internet like that. And so I remember I took the lyrics and I wrote down the lyrics in the notebook. And I was going around to different girls at school and I was like, hey, man, check this out. I wrote this song. And I would like show them the song. And they're like, oh, my God, that song is so good. I'm like, I know, right? And I would like sing and they think it was all dope. And like months later when the song would come out on the radio, they'd come up to me like, oh, my God, you lied. I'm like, lied? It's like months ago. I didn't even remember what I lied about. And I'm not going to tell them myself. I'm like, what do you mean I lied? Like, which one are you talking about? They're like, you didn't write that song. I was like, oh, no, I, I told you I didn't write that. No, you said you wrote it. I was like, oh, yeah, no, I didn't. Okay. Why were they upset? Because it wasn't real. Because I tried to pass it off as my own, but it wasn't my heart. It wasn't my song. Listen, there are moments where, where even the worship team stops, and it's not because they forgot the words. It's to give you a chance to sing your own song. But some of you have a hard time to do that because we're, we're following the bouncing ball. I'm not singing to God. I'm singing karaoke. And, and if the words in the karaoke machine break, I can't sing no more. And worshipers understand it's not about the words on the screen. That's somebody else's words. Sometimes God just wants to hear your words. And your words may just be, God, thank you. God, I thank you that I'm here. I thank you that that I get to sing to you. I thank you that I get to love you. Thank you for loving me. That, that's worship. It's just giving God your attention and sharing God your heart. You see, God looks for the real ones. And what is he looking for? What indicators? There are two words that he uses that are indicators of what exactly he's looking for in the real ones. And those two words are spirit and truth. Right? Verse 23 and 24, he goes, that he really shows us that the type of worshipers that he desires are the ones who worship in spirit and in truth, those are the real ones. Those are the true worshipers. Listen, you might want to write this down. Spirit without truth is unguided. Spirit without truth is unguided. Truth without spirit is unmotivated. Spirit without truth is unguided. Truth without spirit is unmotivated. And if that's a little too, <laughs> for some of you, truth is steering the wheel. The spirit is gasoline that moves us forward. Truth is steering the wheel. The gasoline is moving us forward. Right? I can hit that gas all the way down, but if I don't got a steering wheel, how many know I'm going to crash? And I can sit behind the steering wheel and move it all I want, but if I don't have gas, how many know I'm not going anywhere? You need spirit and truth. To be able to get to where God's called you to go and to be able to do what God's called you to do. So let's look at each one. Starting with in the spirit. If you're taking notes, number one is in spirit. Now this has to do with the spiritual attitude of your worship. Right? God wants you to have the right spiritual attitude when it comes to worship. True worship comes from deep within you. It's a deep longing to glorify God. It's not the words that come out of your mouth. It's the words that come out of your heart. God desires you to worship him in spirit. It comes from your heart. It comes from a deep place, a yearning. Think about it like this if we're just going to go with, with the idea of music. Sometimes there are songs that you sing along to, right? You're like, oh, I like that song. It's catchy. And you sing along to it. But y'all ever had that song that hits you in the chest, right? Like maybe you just got dumped and then that song comes on the radio. You're like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. oh, that's my song. Shut up. You're like, maybe we shouldn't play this. Like, no, I need it. I need it. And you just turn it up. Sing it, girl. Yes. Right? You know what I'm talking about? Like, you just feel it in your chest. 
Why? Because it identifies with you. Because now you're not just singing it from your head, you're singing it from your heart. Right? There's something deep about it. Or, you know, there's some songs that they just remind you of stuff. You're like, that reminds me of my boyfriend in fifth grade. Oh, my gosh. Oh, he was so cute. Oh, my God. It was our song. Right? Like, our song. One time I gave this girl a song that I thought it was romantic, and I didn't listen to the lyrics because it was in Spanish. And basically the song was saying that she was a thought. And I was like, ooh, my bad. I did not realize that that's what that song said. Right? So we got to be careful. There are some songs that are, we hear it in our head. But there, you understand, there's something when you hear it in your heart, right? That's when you're, like, feeling it. And y'all ever been in a car when a song that you're feeling goes on, and maybe you and your homies are in the car, and that song hits, and everybody just starts singing it? Y'all sound horrible, horrible. But y'all don't care if somebody throws up their phone, you start recording it. You think it's so much fun, everyone's watching you, like, skip. Like, <laughs> that sounded bad, right? But you don't care. Why? Because, man, we are just, this is it. Well, listen, there's no difference in worship. When worship hits you straight in the chest, you don't care how bad you sound. You don't care about nobody in this room. When worship comes from a real place, that's why sometimes you'll see people fall on their knees. That's why you'll see people lift up hands. That's why you see people jump. That's why you see people cry. Because it gets to them at a place that goes beyond their mind, and it gets right into their spirit. And God's saying, that's the kind of worship I want to see. I want to see the real worship, the one that comes from a deeper longing, that comes from your heart. Singing a song about God doesn't really mean anything. People can sing about God or to God and not really care about what they're saying. And God notices that. But listen, Matthew chapter 15, verse 7 through 9. This might hurt some of y'all, so you may want to close your eyes and not hear this part. But listen, what does he say? You hypocrites. I mean, he ain't even sugarcoating this, right? He's like, you are full of it. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. What does he say? These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Oh, you're saying all the right things. You're singing the song. You're following the words. You, you got it. The, the lips are on point, but the heart is so far away from me. You ever had, I mean, I'm just going to get real on this one, right? You ever had somebody that you knew didn't like you and talked a lot of smack about you? You know what I'm talking about? And then they come up to you when everybody else is around and they're saying really nice things to you. And in your mind, you're like, you're a little dirty. Man, I know you. I know, like, right? Like, in your heart, you're like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But you're offended. Why are you offended? They're saying all the right things. Because you know what their heart is really about. Because you know when they're not in front of you, they're saying something else. Well, let's, let's backtrack that, right? Because here's the problem. If your worship to God is just going through the motions, singing because everyone else is, repeating the lyrics, but not understanding what you're saying, your worship is a lie. Because it's not genuine. It doesn't come from a real place. And spirit also means that your worship is not limited to your environment. Right? Worship should not be limited to 6050 West Belmont and this specific location. If this spot is the only spot you worship, your worship is a lie. True worshipers don't need to be in church to worship. Listen, some of my biggest uh, just impulses to worship don't happen in the building. Right? It happens when I'm going down the street. It happens when I'm in his creation. 
It happens when I am in awe of his presence. It happens when I'm going through old pictures and I'm reminded of where I've come from. It happens so much more outside of church because it's in those moments where I realize, God, you are so good to me. And I have to worship you. True worshipers don't need to be in a specific spot. They don't need to wait for their favorite song to come on. Listen, we've all been guilty of that. If you've been in church for a long time, we've all been guilty of that. Right? I think it was one of my favorite Francis Chan quotes where they came up and they go, I didn't like that worship song you guys were playing. And he goes, good thing we weren't worshiping you. Right? Like the music has nothing to do with you. And so sometimes we can't worship until they hit that right song. And, oh, and when they get that song, it's like, oh, yeah, that's my song. And it's like, yeah, but we weren't worshiping the song. We were worshiping God. So if you're writing on the right song, you're worshiping the lyricist and the music, but not the Lord. See, we got to get beyond having to, to be in the perfect setting. Because when you're in the presence of God, you are already in the perfect setting. Which means you can be in jail. Which means you can be in school, which for some of you is like the same thing, right? But you can still worship God. Listen, can I tell you something? Can we be real? I know some of your homes aren't comfortable. I know some of your houses are difficult. I know some of your families are hard to put up with. I know you got issues in a lot of them. And I know many of you would rather be anywhere else but at home. But can I tell you something? Even in that environment, you can worship God. And you can change the atmosphere of your heart, and maybe later that'll change the atmosphere of your home. But you got to understand, with God with you, you can worship anywhere. You're not limited to location. Why? Because you don't worship in location. That was her argument. Do we worship on this mountain, or do we worship in Jerusalem? And God says, you worship in spirit, which means anywhere you are, I am. And anywhere we are, we can worship. Any location you find yourself, true worshipers, Worship God in their spirit. They know that he deserves worship. Listen, 1 Chronicles 16, 29. says, give the Lord the glory he deserves. Bring your offering and come into his presence. Worship the Lord in all his holy splendor. <clears throat> I've said this before, but it's important to understand. When it comes to the worship that we give God, you, you, you have to also take into the fact that we owe it to him. He deserves to be worshipped. So how you feel about it really doesn't matter. So a lot of times we come into the service and, and it's time to worship, but you had a bad day or you just got into a fight with your family or you just had an issue with somebody in this room and you got some sort of drama weighing on your heart. So when you come in, you, you don't feel like singing. You just don't feel like worshipping. But listen to me. The two most important times to worship are when you feel like it and when you don't. Right? That's when you got to worship. You can't wait for that right feeling. Why? Because God deserves to be worshipped whether you feel good or not. And can I tell you something? When I've chosen to worship in spite of my feelings, it changed my feelings. Right? Think about it like this. How many, who works a job? Anybody got a job? Okay. Any kids got a job? All the adults are like, yeah. <laughs> Any students got a job? Nancy, you got a job? Oh, we got to get you a job. You got a job? Where you work at? Who? Funtopia, that sounds like a great made-up job. Uh, <laughs> I work at Funtopia. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> I work at Laugh Town. Um, okay, so let's say you worked 40 hours, right? What do you do at Funtopia? Uh, I, I like monitor children. Uh, okay, crazy already. You monitor children. So let's say you worked 40 hours, 
Kids spit up on you. These ain't even your kids, so you don't like that. Kids are not paying attention to you. Boss is getting on your back. You've worked long hours. You still got to go home and do homework. You got all this stuff going on. And then you go to get your check. And the manager goes, you know what? Bro, I just had a bad week. And uh, I know you can't for your check, but I just, I just, it's, it's not a good time. Why don't you come next week? I'll give you your check. How many know? You're going to be like, nah, bro. Pay me. <laughs> pay me. I don't care what kind of week you had. I don't, I don't, bro, I don't care about your life. Give me my money, right? Everybody in this room knows why. Because I deserve that. Well, why should God be any different? Well, you know, God, I, you, didn't too, you didn't do too good of a job this week, God. So uh, come back next week. We'll see how you do. And God's like, excuse me? You're still alive, right? <laughs> There's still breath in your lungs? Shut up and worship me and stop playing games. <laughs> but listen, we get so caught up in our emotions that we forget that even in the midst of worship, it begins to change your heart. Why? Because he deserves it. Right? When you worship in spirit, we're to bring our worship into his presence. And where the presence of the Lord is, listen, 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19, the first half of it, says, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God. You do not belong to yourself. So we can worship God anywhere and in all situations and on all occasions as long as it comes from our spirit. Please understand this. Don't do it just because everybody else is doing it. Do it because it comes from your heart. And if you're sitting there going, well, my heart's not right. Well, get it right and worship God. Listen, there are times where my heart's not right and I don't feel like worshiping, but I push through and worship anyways. And in the middle of worship, God begins to shift my heart. Right? Some of us go, well, it's okay for me not to worship right now because I'm not in a good place. Well, get in a good place. Right? That's like saying, well, I shouldn't go to the gym because I'm not in shape. That's why you go. <laughs> like, that's the whole point. <laughs> and so you got to be able to get past the excuses and understand, listen, it's not about me. At the end of the day, Lord, it's still about you. And I understand this, that when I push myself to the side and put God as a priority, guess what God does? He lifts me up with him. But here's the deal. You can't just be worshiping in spirit and not be guided by truth. So if you're taking notes, the second thing is this. God requires not just spiritual worship, but truth. Truth. Why? <laughs> the Bible says that Jesus Christ is truth. So he requires that we worship him in truth. Well, what does that mean? That means living and speaking what is true. Being the people who God called us to be. Listen. God wants those who worship him to be true about their worship, right? To be genuine in who they are. It would be like if I was at a, at a Bears game, right? I'm teaching my daughter already that we don't like Packers fans, right? So I'm at a Bears-Packers game, and, and some of y'all are with me. We're having a good time, and we look over, and there's a, a Packers fan. He's got an Aaron Rodgers jersey and a dusty old cheese head thing on. Looking all ugly. But the Bears are killing it this year for whatever reason, right? God shined upon us. And so we're winning. We're doing good. And at halftime, we got a big lead. And suddenly, after halftime, oh, boy, took off the Aaron Rodgers jersey, puts on a Bears Khalil Mack jersey, takes the cheese head off, and be like, yeah, go Bears. How many of y'all be like, no, no, go put your other jersey back on, you little false flagger. Don't play that game. You ain't a real fan, right? We'd be offended. No, now I'm a fan because, uh, well, because they're winning? Get out of here. 
Like, go back on, no, get out of here. We would understand that. Here's the deal. Some of us got two jerseys that we wear. We wear one jersey outside of these walls, and then we're like, oh, it's Thursday. Better put my other jersey on. I got to put my God jersey on because, you know, we're going to be with all the church folks, and I don't want people to notice that I'm on the other team. And then we show up, and we lift up our hands, and we follow all the things, and God's going, yeah, but that's not real. That's not true. Right? God wants you to worship him in spirit and in truth. So how do you think Jesus feels when we're out there worshiping the world, living for the world, worshiping the sin around you, getting high, getting drunk, cursing up a storm, making inappropriate jokes, being disrespectful to teachers, hating on your mom and dad, being uh, inappropriate at home. And then at suddenly, 7.15, you're standing up here and your hands are lifted up. And God goes, you're fake. You know what I love about your generation? You're pretty good at smelling fake. You know when someone, somebody asked me once, I'm like, so do you got to keep up with kids? No, I'm old. I know I'm old. Next week I turn 35 years old. I'm old. I don't care. I'm not going to try to be like, yo, yo, what's up, young people? Like, I'm not going to try to be what I'm not. I'm going to be who I am. And I'm like, if you don't like me, that's on you. I like me, right? And so I'm not trying to be who I'm not. And I think because of that, you respect me. I hope at least you think you respect me. And the same thing goes for you. God's saying, listen, I want you to be real. I want you to be who you are. Now, it doesn't give you permission to then not be godly. That means stop being worldly. That means make sure that you're wearing one jersey and stop flip-flopping between the two. Listen, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through 2. Watch as they put it up on the screen. <clears throat> it says, and so, dear brothers and sisters... I plead with you. In other words, I beg you to give your bodies to God because all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. Hold it right there. He's saying, guys, I'm begging you to hand your life over to God, to surrender your life and your body over to God. That means the way you dress, that means the way you act, that means the way you speak, that means the way you carry yourself, that means the way you present yourself online. I'm asking you to have everything about your body be what represents God. This is truly the way to worship him. What is God saying? God's saying, listen, I care more about the condition of your heart and the way you present yourself to the world than the way you present yourself to your church. Because you're talking to a guy who was a master at wearing two jerseys. I even had two names. At church, I was Joey, and at school, I was Jose. And Jose did not act like Joey acted. There were two different people. You know when it started getting weird? When Jose's friends started meeting Joey's friends. And I was like, I don't know how I'm supposed to act. <laughs> Some of you, you don't bring your friends because they haven't met this person yet. They only know that person. And you don't want them meeting your church friends because they're going to cross notes and go, I don't know the same person you know. How do I know that? Because that was me. I don't want to bring my friends to church because they knew that the person they might see worshiping is not the person they saw at school acting the way I was acting. Now, what I'm saying is this, because here's what most of us think. That's me. That's true. So I'm going to stop coming to church. No, that's, that's not the answer. I hear a lot of people say that. Well, why don't you go to church? I don't want to be a hypocrite. How about you not be a hypocrite and stop doing the things that the world is doing? 
Be who God called you to be and be only that. And then you can come to church and not be a hypocrite. Now, he's saying that this is the only way to really worship God. So he goes on to say, do not conform. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. Leave that up there because this is important to understand. So he's saying, listen, if you want to worship God in truth, don't copy the behavior and the customs of the world. So just because the world does it doesn't mean you can do it. Just because your friends are having sex outside of marriage doesn't mean you should be doing that. Just because your friends are going on inappropriate sites and think it's funny doesn't mean you should be doing that. Just because the Illinois legalized marijuana doesn't mean you can get high. Right? We oftentimes set our morals according to what the standards are in the world. But God is saying, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. Let God transform you into a new person. But that part's important. That transformation takes time. Okay? So I don't want you, if you're in this room, like, man, that sucks. That's not me. I'm str-. Okay, listen. God's not expecting it all to happen overnight, but he wants to see that it's happening. And so if there's effort, God gives you room to get a little bit closer and a little bit closer. But remember, spirit and truth, if it's not in your heart, then your actions don't matter anyways. So you could do all the actions you want, but if it's not in your heart, God knows it's not real. God's saying, I want them both. If you could put that verse back up. So he goes, but let him transform you into a new person. And how does he transform you? He's got to change the way you think about things. He's got to change the way you think about things. That's why we push, read your word, read your word, because you have to learn to think differently. Some people have said, oh, church, all they want to do is brainwashing you. Yes, that's accurate. Your brain is filthy. We need to wash it. How do we wash it? With the word. God says, washed by the water of the word. Yes, accurate. If your friends think you're being brainwashed, absolutely. Okay? Then you will learn to know God's will for your life. Some of you are like, I don't know what God wants for my life. You'll learn it. But then means that there's something that has to be done before that. What has to be done before that? You need to stop copying the way the world acts. And you need to learn to let God transform your life. And the way that you think, when that happens, then you'll start to understand what God desires for your life. Then you'll start to know what God wants you to do when you grow up. Then you'll start to know who God wants you to be with. Then you'll start to know how God wants you to act. And that way is going to be perfect and pleasing to God, which results in what? Worship. That's why it's hard to worship God when there's unchecked sin in our lives. Because deep down we know that we're not right with God. And we know that our worship isn't true. But notice that the scripture doesn't say, so if you're lying, stop worshiping. But it encourages us to submit our lives to God. Allow him to change our hearts and minds so that the worship we offer in our song is pleasing to God. And the third thing is this. God asks you to worship in spirit. God asks you to worship in truth. But the combination of the two is what's important. Spirit and truth. When you worship with spirit and truth, you will begin to experience new levels of God's power. In Acts chapter 16, we find an example of this. Here, Paul and his companion Silas, they came across a a demon-possessed girl who uh, worked for some dudes as a fortune teller. Right? This girl kept following Paul and Silas and actually started getting to annoy Paul. And eventually Paul was like, dude, I'm fed up. And he cast the demon out of this woman. 
her masters, because she was a slave, were really upset because it was that demon that was allowing her to tell fortunes. And when he cast the demon out, suddenly she couldn't do what they needed her to do, and they were losing out on money. And so they, they gathered around, and they brought a crowd, and, and they brought this whole crowd around them. And the Roman soldiers saw all the commotion that they were trying to start with Paul and Silas. So the Roman soldiers arrested them, had them beaten, and then thrown in jail. This ain't county jail, by the way. This ain't like that a nice little jumpsuit and a meal, right? This is Roman jail where basically they got beaten within an inch of their life and they got chained up in a dungeon. Not a good day. Probably one of the harder days. But I want you to notice what they did in jail. Acts 16, 25 through 30. It says, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. Let me pause right there. When you worship God with spirit and truth, people notice and people start to listen. Here they are in a horrible situation, falsely accused, thrown in jail. They could be angry at God. They could be like, God, what happened? We're just trying to honor you. We just tried to do a good thing. And instead they're praying to him and they're worshiping him in song. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of the prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. Let me pause right there. You got to understand in Roman culture that the prison guard is in charge of the lives of the prisoners. And if a prisoner escaped on his watch, in order to make up for that, they would take the guard's life. Okay? So this is a serious thing for the guard. He understands, if they get away, I'm dead, so I might as well kill myself instead of how they're going to torture and kill me. You got to remember, the Romans were experts at torture. Like, they were amazing at it. They perfected the art of torturing and causing immense amount of pain in humanity. So he thought, it's better for me to kill myself. So he drew his sword to kill himself. Right? But Paul shouted to him, stop. Don't kill yourself. We are all here. Think about that. Here's Paul's chance to leave. His chance to get out of there. Right? In his heart, he goes, we were worshiping God, and the chains fell off. This is my chance to leave. And a lot of times, here's what happens. We worship God, and we experience this freedom in God. And it's like, now it's my chance to leave everything behind. But listen to what happens. Right? He says, no, we're still here. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked them, sir, what must I do to get saved? See, if you only worship in spirit, it stays here. It's a spiritual thing, right? You experience the freedom in Christ. You, you love that feeling. You love having the experience of coming to church and going to camps and being a part of that. And you experience freedom. But when it's only spirit and it's not truth, it doesn't follow you. If it's only truth, it doesn't bring you. But when you do both, notice what he says. He noticed their worship. He noticed their heart. He saw that they were still there. He saw the power of God in their lives. And he goes, man, I need to know. What do I got to do to get saved? Worship team, if you can help me out. Listen, some of you, you've been trying really hard to see your friends come to God. I'm going to tell you one of the easiest ways to start that, from ha uh, start that happening is when you learn to worship God in spirit and truth. When it comes from a deep place in your heart and it's followed up by actions in your life, 
when those two things line up and people start to see real, people start to desire real. When people see real, they desire real. When people see that you are who you say you are, when they see that God works in your life, when they see that there's something different about you than everybody else, you'll start hearing those questions. So what do I got to do to get right with God? What do I got to do to get saved? I would even go as far to say, if no one's ever asked you that, if no one's ever come to you asking you about your relationship with God, then it's either not coming from a place of the spirit or it's not true. Those two things are broken, one of those. When you have them both, people will notice. And it's not something you have to show off, it's something you are. You're not showing off who you are, you're just being who you are. And so here's how I want us to close today. We are going to close in one of our forms of worship, which is through music and collectively. But I'm hoping that as we get ready to do this, there's a little bit of a change in your approach. I'm hoping that you understand that it's not about how you're feeling or where you are. That it's not about just following the bouncing balls and, and singing along. It's waiting for your perfect song. And it's not even just music. That it comes from a deep place in your heart that just wants to be close to God, that just desires to be in his presence. And that desires it so much that chooses to live a life that's obedient and pleasing to God to ensure that he can stay in his presence. That is the kind of worship that the Father is looking for. So tonight, I'm going to ask you to stand as we get ready to close. And we're just going to take the next five minutes or so. AJ, if you can help me, maybe just put this table on the platform. And in a moment, I'm going to ask you all to join me at this altar. All together, we're going to worship together. And part of the reasons why we like to do corporate worship is there's something powerful when the family gets together. There's something powerful when collectively we are sharing our hearts for God. So I'm going to ask you, would you just join me right at this middle part all across this room? Just come squeeze up. If you're in the front, just make sure you come all the way up. Just join me right at the center. And just close your eyes for a moment. You know, the reason we ask you to close your eyes is just for a, a moment to contemplate for yourself, to, to think about this for yourself. And before they start to sing, would you just, in your own heart, would you just begin to reflect on who God is? Would you just begin to reflect on what he means to you? Because we're going to start with worshiping in spirit. We're going to take this from a deep place, but we got to go to a deeper place. And if you're standing next to somebody that might distract you, that you might want to talk to, listen, don't feel bad about moving. Don't feel bad about stepping over. Leaders, I want you to take the initiative and really show them what this means. Set the example. And as you're thinking about it, and as it starts to come to your heart, I want you to begin to sing your own song. And just begin to express your heart. Just begin to express your heart. Some of you may want to lift up hands. Some of you may want to kneel. Some of you may want to cry. Some of you may want to cheer. Just, just begin to express your heart. Just begin to, to share your heart. Just begin to tell the Lord. Come on, some of us, we need this moment. 
Some of us have been waiting in a, in a place of desperateness, in a, in a place of depression, and, and we need to rise up and worship God and be reminded that God is greater than our issue, that God is greater than our circumstance, that we worship Him because of who He is. Come on, begin to lift up His name, begin to glorify His name, begin to love on Him. Don't worry about how you look to anybody. It's not about anybody else in this room. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God. We worship you in this place, Lord. We give you all honor and glory, almighty God. We lift up your holy name, O oh Lord. Yes, you're worthy. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for this reminder tonight. We thank you for the guidance of your word, God. We thank you that you don't just require a song or we would give you that. But, Lord, you desire that your children would worship you in spirit and in truth. God, I pray, help us to do that. Lord, I know none of us in this room are perfect, beginning with me, God. I know we all have battles we're going through. We all have moments where we mess up. But, Father, I pray that by your strength you would help us, God, to worship you in a way that honors and glorifies you, God. To make sure that when we worship you, whether it be in song or through art, whether it be with our words as we're walking down the street, whether it be in our action, that it would all be from a place that comes deep within our spirit. But God, at the same time, I pray that we would live a life that's worthy of your praise. That we would live a life that brings you honor and glory. That we would be living and active vessels of worship, God. That would point back to a good God that when people look at us, they would desire the same salvation that we've received. Lord, I pray that our lives would be the greatest evangelism tool we have. That it would bring honor and glory to your name. Because we represent you everywhere, not just in this room. So, Father, help us. Help us to look more like you and less like ourselves. Lord, help us to represent you in every arena and in every way. We pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said? Amen. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Can you give God a hand clap of praise real quick?